Revenue Rhino. I'm Brad Hammond, and this is the Lifelong Customer Podcast. We're interviewing successful sales and marketing leaders and discussing ways in which they're building lifelong relationships with their customers. Welcome to the Lifelong Customer Podcast. I'm your host, Brad Hammond, and today I have Arlen Knox from Blue Yonder. Arlen, it's really nice to have you on. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. I appreciate it. Totally. So to kick us off, can you tell me a bit about yourself and about your company and what you guys do? Absolutely. My name is Arlen Knox, and I'm the CVP of Integrated Demandgen here at Blue Yonder. Some of you probably had never heard the word supply chain until this little thing called the pandemic happened. And now supply chain is on everyone's tongue. We're all talking about it. It's in the boardroom. You see it all over the news. We are the leader in all of the Gartner Magic Quadrants for supply chain. So everything that it takes to get global goods from anywhere that it's at to you as the end consumer is what Blue Yonder does. And we like to say that we're saving the world one supply chain at a time. So I've been here at Blue Yonder for about eight years. It's been a wild journey, a lot of fun and exciting a couple of months and years we've had as of late. But thank you so much for having us. Very much so looking forward to chatting with you about Demandgen here at Blue Yonder. Yeah, really excited. Thank you so much. So today's topic is demand generation and account-based marketing or ABM. I'd love to just dive into your approach to this. So as we think about demand generation, there's obviously a lot of different ways you can approach it and different activities and priorities and all this. For you, what are your strategic priorities? And maybe from a high level, your approach when it comes to demand generation. Sure. So I like to say that demand generation for us used to be fishing with nets. And now we fish with both nets and spears that we've integrated ABM into our demand gen tactics. So three, four years ago, we were just starting to learn what is ABM and what is it going to mean to us. And we took a concerted effort to put a tremendous amount of resources and budget into ABM. So we sort of went all in on ABM right before the pandemic, which really worked out for us, considering live events used to be our number one opportunity driver. And with the pandemic, of course, those live events went away and we were already structured and set up with budget and resources to to truly have a highly personalized one-to-one very specific account approach with our ABM teams. And we scaled that globally very quickly. So our demand gen used to be, listen, we just wanted hand raises. We wanted some viable opportunities coming into the pipeline. And then we really quickly shifted to a very coordinated, highly strategic approach with sales, where we've gone after either accounts that they have brought to us or accounts that we have seen have perhaps showed intent. You know, they're researching various subjects or have researched various competitors. And we have brought those accounts to our sales team and said, here's a prescriptive way that we want to go about approaching this account. Sometimes we've been brought in at the very end. We really need to close this deal. It's us versus the competition. Can you help us put together a nice ABM package? So we've done it all. We've done it from the very beginning where we didn't even know there was a dance card out there and we were hoping to get invited to the dance all the way to we're at the finish line, help us bring it across the end zone. So ABM for us grew quickly. It gave us a tremendous amount of pipeline during the time of the pandemic when other opportunity drivers for us went away. So we really saw the shift of everything becoming highly digital. So our demand gen teams have always been around to sort of keep the lights on and we're responsible for both pipeline as well as revenue. So we have to see that what we have in the pipeline closes and our marketing contributions pipeline is one of our key targets. 
markets. Demand gen and ABM at this point to me is coming to be one, and I don't necessarily see it as being so divided anymore post-pandemic. It's certainly an exciting practice for us, and there's never a better time to be an ABM. I love that. So if I'm a marketer out there and I'm tasked with demand generation and ABM and you know it's maybe the start of the next quarter and you're under the gun to deliver pipeline, what are some of the approaches that you're seeing work well? And what is some of the lower hanging fruit, so to speak, in terms of strategies and campaigns and activities that you guys are doing? Yeah, maybe I'll start with the lower hanging fruits. You know, I mentioned a little bit about how we see various intent bubbles coming up. And with those signals that we see, we can create very quickly sort of a a one to few campaign. So maybe we're seeing in cold chain storage, you know, the notion that during the summer months, they're having difficulties keeping things at the right temperature, getting to the grocers, right? Whenever we see these sort of micro trends that have popped up, we've been able to quickly put together a campaign and execute that and get a lot of instant feedback because it's relevant, it's timely, you know, it's, it's either social or in the news or whatever it might be. You know, Amazon Prime Day is an example, just last week, we were able to quickly spin up some sort of micro campaigns around those quick hitting and high relevant and timely campaign. So for us, that's sort of low hanging fruit and stuff that's working to quickly generate some hand raises. You know, in terms of your first question on what are we doing in an overall practice and what types of channels are we going after? It's pretty much everything and anything. You know, I think what we see nowadays is you kind of have to fail fast and keep trying and keep testing new things. You know, as live events went away, did round tables work? Did wine tasting work? In what ways were you able to capture those digital eyeballs? And then of course the world changed again and we opened back. So what happened with live events and how do we blend those into our ABM tactics? But in general, we're testing anything and everything. And we have sort of a constant ongoing strategy, you know, be it digital ads mixed in with some direct mailers, mixed in with some highly targeted microsites that we'll create with some relevant content and topical events, be it webinar, virtual, or in-person, but that sort of always on constant strategy works. Then it's just testing some newer things that we can blend into the mix that we're seeing work or not work. And then we sort of move on from it. So content syndication, for example, really started working for us again. So we went all in on that and we were able to see mixed with intent-based targets Then we layered on content syndication and then we would layer on perhaps like a sales loft cadence, like those three things put together, boom, we were able to find some great leads. And so I would say it's not necessarily one thing that's working for us. It's everything working in tandem and really getting our marketing technology stack working all together that's helping. And that's where our biggest area of improvement is. We've got, I would say, the marketer's dream of things that we can utilize here at Blue Yonder, but it's getting everything talking to each other and getting everything working from each other that really is able to find sort of those diamonds in the rough, if you will. I love that. And just for those listening out there, so there's full understanding, when you say content syndication, do you mean creating your own content, sharing others' content? Can you break that down for me a little bit? Yeah, so we've tested it all. We've utilized our own content on various third-party or niche industry publications that we've been able to put that content out there. We've partnered with the big guys like Wall Street Journal to create custom content together and get it out in market. So we're doing anything and everything and trying it all. I would say for us, it's some of those really targeted niche industry players that have really helped us move the needle. So again, we'll put the right piece of content to a group of accounts that we've seen intent in this various subject with a very reputable third-party firm partnered with us and our content and our subject matter experts that were able to get back a nice handful of leads that work for us. 
On the other side, you know, the Wall Street Journals or others of the world, it's just fantastic to have those names associated with our thought leadership content and getting that out there. But I wouldn't necessarily say that I can directly pinpoint that that's an ROI and we were able to get X, Y, or Z leads from it. But it's just something that we've seen help play into the mix. Yeah, totally. And I think a lot of others out there, especially when you're looking at ROI, and there's so many different activities you can do. And a lot of times there's a question of, do I do this? Do I do that? Do I even focus on inbound or outbound? How are you guys looking at that? Are you all inbound, all outbound? Is it an even split? And what does that look like for you? Yeah, you know, I would say when we set out all of our marketing strategy, we of course tie it to our go-to-market booking targets. So what are we trying to close across our various products, across our various markets, be it an upsell, a cross-sell, a net new logo, whatever. I wouldn't necessarily say we say, okay, now I'm going to break down this spend and X percentage is outbound and X percentage is inbound. I would say it happens more organically. We definitely create a pretty large charter of outbound activities. And from that, we hope to see our inbound increase. Like I mentioned, we can't always tie a straight ROI to all of our various activities. They're coming at us from a variety of efforts. But what I would like to see is a correlation that as we ramp up the outbound, we still see a nice increase of our inbound and really hope to try and do our best to solidify exactly what those various outbound tactics could be tied to the various inbound. We can never quite get there, but we're getting there to tell that full story. So for us, we don't necessarily break it down outbound, inbound. We do a tremendous amount of outbound. We have started to work on our inbound by setting up various, for example, business development inbound teams, by setting up various demand gen efforts that are going after little things, be it decreasing the amount of our contact us request forms to try and see if those conversions increase, be it creating custom drift chat bots to try and see if we can get that inbound converting at a higher rate. So we're doing those types of tactics on the inbound side that I think help convert. But at the end of the day, it's all about, in my opinion, how much we're putting out into the market and seeing if that correlation increases on the inbound side. Totally. And when you're setting up all these campaigns, are you driving everyone to set up a demo or are you driving everyone to events? What does that funnel look like for you guys for demand? I hate to say we do it all, right? Because then you do nothing, but we've tested all. So we have various free trials. We have various sandbox environments where it's perhaps dummy data, but you can get in there and get a feel for it. We push people straight to perhaps chat with a small group of a customer advisory board. We push to events. We push straight to a cadence of a meeting with the sales rep if needed. So we certainly try a lot of those tactics. You know, I would say for us, free trials is something that we were perhaps late to the game. For us being such a large enterprise SaaS-based company, it's difficult to put our types of products in that free trial world. But in this SaaS environment, we know that it's necessary. When we set those up and went really hardcore press on free trials, maybe three, five years ago, we saw a tremendous amount of interest. But for us, it wasn't necessarily the free trial as much as it was someone is engaging with us, having these questions and really getting to the need of what are they experiencing in their business? What issues are they facing? What use cases can we help them with? So it, it really just became a catalyst to have the conversation versus here's the free trial and I'll put your credit card in and you can buy it. Our supply chain software doesn't exactly fit to that mold. So we just use it as, a, as another door opener for us. So those tactics have worked for us in the past, as well as now we're testing newer strategies, things like dedicated meetings that we can set at these various industry events. So be it the shop talks or the grocery shops or Gartner's where they can guarantee us meetings with right buyers. Those types of things are certainly newer in the last couple of years that we are seeing a tremendous amount of uptick in our opportunities generated from those efforts. Nice. 
I think one of the things I've talked to a lot of marketers about is whether the BDR, SDR team should sit within sales or in marketing. And I've seen at a lot of organizations, sometimes the marketing team and the BDR team work separately, you know, each to the same goal, but not as integrated. And I've seen at other organizations, it's, you know, sits under marketing and helps with this effort and all that. I know you said that you guys have made the transition to put that team under marketing. How did you guys come to that conclusion and what has that been like? Yeah, so we've had it under marketing in the past. We've had it under sales in the past. So currently it's under sales. I would say Uh, it doesn't necessarily matter where they sit. I think what matters is the leadership and the coordination from the top down. So I would say that the head of our business development teams and the head of our demand gen teams are so coordinated and so aligned that you might think that they are the exact same team. And I think that's where sort of the secret comes to the sauce, if you will, is making sure that everything is done in tandem. Everything is done in lockstep. The campaign material is almost crafted together. It's constantly A-B tested. It is getting a constant feedback loop of what they're seeing work, what they're seeing not work. Because as you can imagine, you can't do you know, drift bots that that your business development team is answering. You can't do a sales loft cadence that your business development team is kicking off without a highly coordinated effort between demand gen and business development. So while we may sit under two functional leaders, we have the same KPIs, the same goals, the same reporting mechanisms, and a constant ongoing continuous feedback loop. And I think those few things have really set us up for success to ensure that We're not fighting each other. We always know what's happening at the exact same time. And really for us, it has been the leadership that they've put into place under both sides to say that this is the way it's going to be, right? So you guys have got to work together because to your point, when they are so siloed and they aren't working together, there is no sense in creating a marketing generated lead if it just falls flat, right? You're going to have that Buddha belly where nothing's going to move down the pipeline and it's going to be a struggle. So it has been a beautiful thing that we have watched over the last couple of years with our business development and demand gen teams working better together. Yeah, totally. Let's talk about the reporting end of things. What does that look like on maybe a quarterly basis, monthly basis? What sorts of metrics are you measuring? Uh, Are you looking to improve all that stuff? Absolutely. So we measure all the way through the entire life cycle. So we are responsible for, of course, creating pipeline. And we have to be responsible for 50% of all pipeline created should be marketing generated. And I mentioned it's marketing and business development. So we're coupled together on that KPI. And then we're responsible for 50% of everything that closes. So we need to ensure that not only are we creating viable leads that sales can close, but that we're working with sales throughout the entire life cycle to get those deals across the finish line. So in coordinated effort with perhaps product marketing on a competitive battle card that needs to be created or competitive positioning, or if we're working with the various analyst relations team to bring in the key analyst at the very end to talk about our position in the market in this space or our growth or our future path in this space. We, as a collective marketing team, are working hand-in-hand with sales throughout the entire life cycle. So those two big KPIs of percentage of pipeline, percentage of closed one. And then I mentioned we're sort of marrying everything that we do to our go-to-market booking targets. So we are responsible for everything that sales has to close, be it certain industry percentages or be it certain sales tactics percentages like net new logos, right? We then tie all of our 
OKRs, if you will, or KPIs or whatever word you want to use. At the end of the day, our goals are closely aligned to our go-to-market industry booking targets with sales. And I think that's the only way you can be successful. Otherwise, you have marketing doing great things, but they don't necessarily, sales doesn't feel like you are at the end of the day on their board of directors or at their table that is really going to contribute to them closing their deals. So marketing becomes sort of a nice to have if you're not completely in lockstep and aligned with them meeting their booking numbers. My favorite saying is, help me help you get to President's Club. So all of our sellers want to go to President's Club. They want to meet and beat their quotas. And that's what our marketers are here to do. We carry just as much of the sales backpack, if you will, as they do, which is an exciting opportunity if you're in marketing to get that close to sales. Yeah, totally. One of the things that I've seen happen sometimes is marketing will gather a bunch of MQLs and succeed. But then when those actually get to sales, the sales team will say, well, none of these people want to buy. They're not ready. All this. Have you seen some of that? What do those conversations with sales look like? And being you're very closely tied together, how do you get feedback in terms of who is ready for sales, who's not? How do you determine that all that stuff? Yeah, you know, we've gotten pretty pretty advanced in the last year or so of our sales qualification process. So having a highly unified, highly scalable and agile at the same time methodology to approaching which sales move through at what point and which opportunities become the various stages that we have. So with sort of those stringent sales processes that have been put in place, both with sales and marketing and industry and others, I think we've come to a pretty good way of determining what needs to be in the funnel at what point and or what needs to sit back and be nurtured. So be it various lead scoring mechanisms that push things along or be it the various sales acknowledged to suspect and above, those various tactics that we have that move things at certain times in our sales cycle, I think we have a pretty clear understanding of what we need to do to those leads at those various stages to keep them there if they need to and or to progress them along if they need to. So we've got that constant feedback, again, be it weekly sales calls, QBRs, or we're hearing what are the themes and trends that you're seeing with these various types of leads. But then we have the hard concrete stats of this is what has progressed. This is where we see it. This is the stage that it's at. This is the age that it's at. This is perhaps why it didn't kick, get kicked up with a lead score that progressed it or whatever. So it all comes down to the metrics and the data telling that story in addition to the opinions and thoughts, right, of sales. But if you just stick to, you know, the sales guys or gals say every week, oh, I'm not getting anything from marketing that's of use. Well, what does the data tell you? Because opinions are great, but the data really is what you need to dive into. So we definitely take a hard look at both of those aspects. So continuous, constant, ongoing communication with your sales team, as well as checking in on the data and seeing what that data is telling you. Totally. I think something interesting that a lot of marketers have been doing lately is intent monitoring using tools like Sixth Sense and all this. Uh, is that something you guys are doing? And if so, what's your approach to that? Absolutely. So a couple of years ago, we were all in on every single ABM tech provider. So you name it, we've tried them. We are currently using Sixth Sense and we are utilizing all of the intent data that we can into various different campaigns. So be it utilizing intent lists that feed into our paid digital ABM ad strategy, or be it um, paid intent that we plug into a third-party content syndication program, G2, G3, those various networks that you've got, the Capteras of the world. We are utilizing all of the intent data that we can to kick off, start further along any and all of our marketing tactics. 
I think we are an AI and ML based supply chain company. So to not utilize the latest advancements in technology on the marketing space would be a huge misstep. But the beauty of it is utilizing that intent with the other pillars of your marketing strategy. So there's no use doing a third party direct mailer, for example, to just a bunch of targets why not do a third-party direct mailer that is timely and topical to these 50 accounts that have been researching in the last 30 days, WMS warehouse management solutions, right? So it just becomes the aha, if you will, behind all of our marketing campaigns that we're executing, which increases then our response rate, which increases our pipeline rate, which increases our close rate. So for us, that has been a beautiful tool. I will say GDPR and other issues globally have started to really hurt us. The cookie changes that we see here coming with Google Analytics All of those things are certainly efforts that our global marketing demand gen teams are starting to face and understand how can we, how can we still get some information that we need to talk to these folks at the right time, at the right place, with the right message. So that will certainly be a key challenge for us marketers to to have to tackle in the next couple of months. But we are all in on intent. We are all in on utilizing any and all signals that we can to make better and informed campaigns out in market. Totally. That's awesome. So if we think of buyer engagement as kind of an overall umbrella on top of demand gen, I've seen different approaches where companies will say, let's go after our target market that is educated about our problem, has an acute pain point, is maybe even to the stage of looking for a solution and then get in front of them. I've also seen other companies say, hey, we don't know if this company has this problem or is looking for a solution, et cetera. Let's just create great content that they'll enjoy consuming. What is your thought process around that and where you focus your time on kind of both those ends of the buyer engagement spectrum? Yeah, it depends, I think, who in marketing you talk to. So my CMO, who's very interested in our brand and our customer engagement and just getting our name out there and having, you know, the number one golfer in the world wear our logo, those types of activities are sort of always on. You you have to be there because if you're not then your competitors are. And then when people first hear about you or first read that content, they're going to learn about somebody else and not you. So I think you have to be there with those types of strategies. And usually those strategies are the pricier ones, unfortunately. So you have to then play out your marketing mix and understand then that a highly targeted amount of your budget needs to go to that focus group that has the intent, has the need, who knows who you are and is that intelligent buyer, maybe even a champion that's bought you at a prior company. So I think, unfortunately, you have to do both. And the other one's usually more expensive, right? That wider net is usually much more pricey. But Those are the things that you do to try and then see if your inbounds start to increase. So are your contact us forms going up? Are your chat bots going up? Are your, you know, requests for proposals going up? Are your free trials going up? And see if you can have a correlation between those inbound activities with those perhaps higher price point, more flashy, more brand engagement awareness activities that you're doing. So you got to do both. You just got to test them all and do a little bit of the mix to see what's moving the levers while you can. Yeah, totally. So have there been any lessons you've learned? It sounds like you've tried a lot of different things and had different approaches. You've been doing this for a while. Would you have any advice, things to not do, lessons learned, things to absolutely do for those out there listening today? Yeah, you know, I will say recent lessons learned have probably focused in on the talent side. Our teams truly are the heartbeat of our marketing organization. And it has been a tough couple of months. No no surprise, unless you're living under a rock with the great resignation and folks leaving, perhaps going to the competitors, 
whatever. We're seeing the full spectrum of sort of disruption on our own teams. So the biggest aha or lesson learned I've said over the last couple of weeks to my teams is that it is us that make these efforts successful or not successful. But if you don't have the right team with the passion and the drive and the dedication to the cause, if you will, and the dedication to the company, then you're not going to get anywhere. You have to have the people that want to go the extra mile to work with their sellers to execute these campaigns that that want to keep hitting refresh on the dashboard to see if we're getting pipeline right. And it comes down to the people. And so I think even across Blue Yonder, and I'm sure other viewers listening, we've really doubled down on our talent and doubled down on our people and spend probably about 20% of my time a week just reaching out, making phone calls, sending texts, you know, reaching out and doing everything I can to ensure that my team feels empowered. They feel just you know, the love, if you will, the blue yonder love, and that they feel that we as the leaders of this organization are here. If they want to raise questions or have comments, be it various employee voice, if you will, surveys that go out that they can provide that feedback more anonymously or straight to us. It's a great thing to have a continuous and open and honest relationship with all of your teams to ensure that they feel empowered, they feel engaged, they want to be here and that they know that we're committed to their success. So I think the biggest aha lesson learned has really truly been to go double down on your teams and make sure that they're happy because if you're not, someone else is going to be reaching out to them and poach them and that is not what we want. Totally. Well, hey, this is great. I really appreciate your time and it was awesome to talk about demand gen. Thanks so much for joining the podcast today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Brad. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.